basketball, as I remember, about conditioning. I did not like basketball. And, 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 and one of my previous coaches before 7th and 8th grade, Coach Grant, one of our elders here, I can remember the punishment for missing a free throw or miss, missing a layup back in 4th, 5th, 6th grade. We're going to run. As if I, I, somehow that makes me better, makes me want to, I guess, make me want to work harder. But I didn't like that kind of running. You move on forward to 11th grade, and I started running to stay in shape for baseball, really so that I wouldn't have to do other more intense kinds of running. So I ran cross country, um, and, and I like that. It, it seems that sometimes when, when I pick up something, I want to be good at it. And, and I turned out being okay at, at cross country. I enjoyed it, at least. And, and I even kept running into college beyond high school. I'd run, run uh, while I was at Alabama. And, and that kind of led up to a moment where I thought that I would run a half marathon. And I might have mentioned this before, but I paid. You, you do this. You pay. If you run a half marathon, no one just runs one for free. They pay to run it. It's really crazy as you think back to it. But I ran a half marathon because I thought I love running so much, I'm going to run a half marathon. And I did it, and I hated running after that so much, I didn't run for six months. I didn't run for six months. As time has progressed since the end of college, since that six months after a half marathon, I, I, I've tried now to run sort of consistently. And, and I, I don't know that I say I love running, but I like it. I, I, I think at least it's good for me. It's good for my, my body. It's good for my attitude. It's good for my soul. I, I'll ask about this running, and I talk about this running tonight. We're going to investigate a situation tonight. We're going to see a guy tonight where, where he decided to run, and running hurt. Running hurt him. We're going to see a story where running hurts. Running actually leads this man to prison. But this is, this is a fact, and this is the case with, with this man in the story. Running was the right thing to do. Running was what, was what he absolutely had to do. This is Genesis chapter 39. Tonight we're going to look at Joseph. We're going to look at this story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, his master's wife. And, and as we... We come to Genesis 39, there's a lot that has happened in, in Joseph's story. We remember when Joseph was young, early on in his life, he's, he's seen as the favorite child to their, their father, Jacob. Of many brothers, J Joseph appears to be the favorite of the children, of the sons. And he's given this colorful coat, you remember, and the brothers are jealous because of that. So they throw him in a pit. They almost kill him. Someone talks him out of it. They decide to sell Joseph instead to some slave traders. And those slave traders then sell Joseph to this guy named Potiphar in Egypt. And so we get to Genesis 39. Joseph is now in Potiphar's house. This is in Egypt, a foreign land. Joseph's been on a tough journey. Now we're going to see something, even adding, piling on to his life so far, happen here in Genesis chapter 39. Verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Think about where Joseph has been, all these trials he's been through, but Potiphar notices 
this, this guy, this slave I bought, it seems that something special about him. It says the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord caused all he did to succeed. This is worth our attention. This is a recurring theme, by the way. Jacob, his father, notices something special about Joseph. His brothers notice something is special about Joseph. He has those dreams. They didn't like it. Potiphar notices there's something special about Joseph. Later, you're going to see the prison guards realize that there's something special about Joseph. Beyond that, you're going to see Pharaoh realizes there's something special about Joseph. What did they notice? You see it here in verse 3. That the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him caused all that he did to succeed. That was in his hands. It's worth us, it's worth our attention, it's worth our time to consider for us in our lives what do other people see in us? What do people see when they look at us? What are we showing them in our talk and in, and in our walk? Let's continue reading verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house. He's worked his way up. He's in charge of a lot in his house. We're going to see that right here. He put him in charge of all that he had. Verse 5. From the time he made him overseer in his house, from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Potiphar's house, his field, his crop, his livelihood is better. It's better because why? Because of Joseph, because of the way Joseph lives his life. I want you to think about us. Think about yourself. Is, is, your, neighbor, is your neighbor better off being your neighbor because of the way you live, because of the way you talk, because of the way you are, because of the blessing you are to them? Is your, is your co-worker thankful to be your co-worker because of the blessing you are to them? Is, is your teammate thankful to be your teammate because you're always encouraging them, you're always motivating them, you're never complaining? Looking at Joseph, everyone seemed to be better because they were around Joseph. Everything seemed to be better in Potiphar's house because Joseph was there. Joseph was there. Verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, because of Joseph, he, Potiphar, had no concern over anything but the food that he ate. It's pretty cool. All Potiphar had to concern himself with each day, because Joseph was in charge, was the food that he ate. Joseph took care of everything else. And I want us to see this passage and ask this question. Notice this first, that Joseph has all this trust that has been placed in him. All this responsibility has been placed on him from Potiphar because Potiphar trusts him. He's running the house. He's running the show. Who would you trust to run your house? Who would you trust to run something that's very important to you? I, I was thinking about 
our, 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 our church here, this, this audience here, us. I was thinking about us. I was thinking about how we've, we've got a lot of, of different directors in here, show choir directors, chorus directors, marketing directors. We've got a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, people who, who are in charge. You've got something you've got, you're, you're in charge of, and, and you're responsible for it to work, for it to run, for everything to look good, for everything to operate well. How would you feel about putting whatever it is that you're in charge of into the hands of somebody else? Letting someone else run the operation, direct, own. Potiphar does this with Joseph. Why? Because he had all the trust in the world in Joseph. And I think when I've read this story before, when I've studied this story before, I haven't noticed that. I knew Joseph is in charge of a lot, but I didn't notice the trust that Potiphar had in Joseph. He trusts him. He trusts him with his life. All he's worried about is what he's eating because Joseph is in charge of everything else. This is the back end of verse 6. Something happens. Now Joseph, it says, was handsome in form and appearance. An important detail about Joseph. Verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said... Lie with me. Joseph has, has been offered, has been extended an invitation. Lie with me. Verse 8. But he refused. And I want you to, to see that and maybe underline that and say, uh, recognize that is not a kind no thank you. He refused. He refused her. And said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. Verse 9, He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. Notice this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No, he says against God. We, we see something here in verse 9. Joseph shows us something here. When we hurt those around us because of decisions we make, when we hurt those around us, we're not only hurting those people. We're hurting God. When, when we do something, when we say something, we act in a way that, that hurts mom and dad, when we sin against mom and dad, it's not just a sin against mom and dad, it's a sin against mom, dad, and God. When we sin against a friend, it's not just sin against a friend, but it's a sin against a friend and God. When we sin against our, our employer, it's a sin against an employer and God. When we sin against a, a business owner, it's a sin against that business owner and God. The list goes on. G Joseph knows that if he says yes, he's not just hurting Potiphar, it says he would hurt Potiphar and God. Verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Joseph is, is resistant of, of Potiphar's wife, but really what's happening here is, is Satan is, is using Potiphar's wife as a pawn as a tool to get to Joseph, to invite Joseph into this sin, to entice him, to, to lure him into this sin. 
one of Satan's favorite phrases to whisper to, to young people, to, to not so young people. You deserve this. You deserve this. You deserve this drink. You deserve this touch. You deserve this kiss. You deserve this, this moment. Because something has happened in your life. You've had, you've had something going on that you deserve this. To, to cope with whatever it is, you deserve this. And you think about Joseph. If anybody has heard that voice, if anybody has heard Satan saying this, it's Joseph. He's been thrown in a pit. He's been thrown in, in, a, in, a, in a slave trader's wagon. He's been thrown in a foreign land. been thrown in a fren frenzy. Joseph, I I'm confident, Joseph has heard this voice from Satan whispering, you deserve this. You have every reason to say yes. There's so many times in, in our lives when Satan whispers to us, you deserve this. Just say yes. Just say yes. Yes to things that we, we think will help us in a moment. A bad day. Here, deserve this. You deserve this. A bad headache. Here, you deserve this. Broken up. You deserve this. Can't sleep. You deserve this. Feeling lonely. You deserve this. Feeling stressed. You deserve this. Feeling depressed. You deserve this. That's not from God. That is from Satan. Lie with me, she says. This voice from Satan through Potiphar's wife. Lie with me. Just say yes. Verse 8, he refuses. Verse 10 again. She spoke to him day after day. I, I, what we notice here is she's persistent. This is not a one-time thing. This is not one and done. This is not, okay, he's going to say no and I'm not going to do it anymore. No, he's, he's, she is persistent. Notice, though, that, that Joseph will not listen to her. He will not lie beside her. He will not linger with her. Joseph says no, no matter what it is. Look at verse, well, this is actually James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James says this later in chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. From Joseph we learn what we cannot listen to sin. Because when we listen to sin, we will start to lie down with sin. And that listening that leads to lying down eventually lives, leads to living with sin. Don't listen to sin. Don't live with sin. Don't, don't lie with sin. Don't live with sin. Look at verse 11. One day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. One day he goes to do his job, he goes to the place where he always goes to do his work, and, and this one little descriptor here, no one else was there. His environment was different, his moment, his, his surroundings had, had changed. If there's a lesson for us, we, we need to be aware of our surroundings. We need to be aware when things have changed, when things don't feel right, when things have, have suddenly not felt the way that they usually feel. I'm going to mention some good places here. These are good places, places that are okay for us to be, but I'm going to ask a question with it. 
some places that are good that can turn into hostile environments, dangerous environments. Is the devil ever in the workplace? Sure. That's a great place for us to be. It's our job. We're supposed to be there every day. But are there ever moments when the devil is in the workplace? Is the devil ever in the locker room? Is the devil ever in the school hallway? Is the devil ever in the bedroom? Is the devil ever in the television or the radio? We must be aware of our surroundings. Sometimes there are moments in our lives when, when we must excuse ourselves, when we must ask someone to stop, when we must change the channel, when we must stand up for good, when we must stand up for God. Joseph's environment had changed. None of the men were there. It was not like it usually was. Look at verse 12. None of the men are there. It says, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. Notice what Joseph does, though. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He runs. He runs as fast as he can. And he leaves everything he had on him behind. And he gets out. He does the, the right thing. He runs. What does she do? Look at verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, look what she's going to say, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, talking about Joseph. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. He ran, which he did. It's not, it didn't happen that way, though. Verse 16, then she laid up the garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, a lie, saying, The Hebrew servant, servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Remember, Potiphar trusts Joseph. Joseph's in charge of his entire house. He is the man at Potiphar's house. Verse 19. Notice how quick this dissolves. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. He trusts Joseph, right? He trusts him a lot with everything. But he trusts his wife more. He trusts his wife more. Look at verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. I had a teacher in high school who said, it's never wrong to do the right thing, and it's never right to do the wrong thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing, and it's never right to do the wrong thing. Joseph is faced with this situation. What is he to do? He runs. He does the right thing, but where does it lead him? The right thing leads him to, to prison. He does the right thing, but, some, but, but it leads him to prison. The first takeaway of, of, of this lesson, this story of Joseph, something that I think is worth us taking home with us. Sometimes we have to pay a penalty even when we do the right thing. A lot of times it's difficult to do the right thing. 
It's difficult to, to, say yes, to say no when we need to say no, to say yes when we need to say yes. Sometimes when we do the right thing, there is a penalty to pay. When I was thinking about this, I, I thought about a game I was watching last weekend. It was between Auburn and Penn State. There was a play that happened that involves a, a penalty called targeting. It's a rule that's meant to protect the head and the neck area of players. And, and a lot of times it, it is executed, it's thrown, the flag's thrown with, with good intent. And it's really it's protecting players. It's meant to stop a bunch of head injuries. And in this game, there, there was a call that... I don't cheer for, the, for Auburn, but I, I believe Auburn was in the right on this play. And a Penn State player had the ball about the five-yard line. He catches it. He's going to the end zone. There looks to be no one there going to stop him. And, and an Auburn player comes and tackles him at the goal line. Makes a really an incredible stop. But a flag is thrown on the play. This Penn State player had led with his head. He's reaching for the goal line. The Auburn player comes in with his shoulder, but hits him in the head, the neck area. The referee throws the flag. They go and they, on these plays, they always look and, and watch it again. They, they hold the call. They say it is targeting on the play. The Auburn player was not supposed to hit him in the head, except that's the only place he could hit him to stop him. There's no other way he could stop him. He does what he's supposed to do. I believe he does the right thing. He makes the tackle at the goal line as he's supposed to. But because that's a penalty according to the rules... The penalty is 15 yards and the player is ejected from the game. That player could no longer play the rest of the game for what I believe, you might disagree, but I believe he did the right thing. He stopped him at the goal line. He's not supposed to let him score. He does the right thing. Sometimes in life, we do the right thing. We do what we're supposed to do, but there is a penalty that comes to us. That penalty can come in lots of different ways. When we say something like, sorry, I don't think I need to go to that movie. Or we say something like, sorry, I, I don't think I need to hang out in, in that parking lot with that group of people because I sometimes, oftentimes know what happens. Sorry, I can't let you talk like that about that person or really any person. Sorry, we, we don't need to be alone in, in my car or, or in this room for very long. There might be some embarrassment. There might be some, what you might call a societal prison we're put into. Oh, that guy does, he doesn't want to do those things because he thinks that, that that's not a good thing to do. We can't talk about those people around him because he doesn't want us to. Sometimes there's a penalty to pay for doing the right thing, but we must be like Joseph. We must do the right thing. We must say the right thing. We must run if necessary. The second thing I want us to see, God wants to be with us everywhere. Look at verse 21. God wants to be with us everywhere. He wants to be with us everywhere we go. In life, verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Verse 23, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because, why? The Lord was with him. 
And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. We see from earlier in Joseph's life, the Lord is, in, is with Joseph in, in the pit. He's with Joseph in Potiphar's house. He's with Joseph here in the prison. Later you'll see that he's with Joseph in the palace. And in all four of those places, those are ups and downs in Joseph's life. Those are in the good times and in the bad times. God is with Joseph everywhere through everything. God is in control. I drove by the fair this week. What I, th- I think is one of the first times in my life. And I know I've lived in this area. It's just right there. I should have been driving by it a lot. But I don't know if it had to do with growing up on the other side of the river. I really don't think I've been by the fair. Hardly ever. And I really don't think I've ever been to the fair. I was talking with Jenna about the fair. And I was thinking about some of the rides there. And I probably, don't, I probably never will go to the fair. I just don't have a huge interest. Maybe someday. And I know there's lots of stuff to do at the fair. One of those things that I will never do is ride a ride at the fair. You, you, I mean, you know why, right? I'm, who put that together? How did they put it together overnight? Disney World takes a year or two to put a ride together. And the fair puts up rides overnight. I, I will go to Disney World and I, I'll ride the, the, the roughest of rides, the biggest of rides, and, and I have trust. Uh, I have no doubt. I mean, there, nothing bad's going to happen. I understand that. I, I trust in whoever put that together, whoever's in control of that ride. I, I don't trust whoever's in control of those rides. I don't. And they're probably fine. A lot of you in here might have ridden those rides this week. I won't ride those rides because I don't trust who's in control. God wants to be in control of our lives. He wants to be on this roller coaster of life with us. Through the ups and the downs in our life. He doesn't want to just be on the ride with us. He wants to be in control of the ride. God wants to be with us everywhere in our lives. We have to ask ourselves this question. Who is in control of my life? Is it someone, or is it something, or, or is it God? Or is it God? Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God wants to be with us everywhere through everything. The final thing I want us to take with us as we leave here tonight, I want us to connect the story of Joseph with Jesus. Jesus died so that we can run. He died so that we can run for a couple of reasons. Died so that we can run from sin. He went to that cross to defeat sin, to wash sin away from our lives so that we can run from sin. This is Romans chapter 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus died so that we can run from sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, but with those invitations, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to 
endure it. Jesus died so that we can run from sin. He also died so that we can run to him. We can be free of, of these burdens. We can run without limitation. We can run this race. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12. This is verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of, witness, cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Jesus died so that we can run. We can run free of sin, we can run to him. Uh, I, I like the lesson we learned from Joseph. We, we don't want to listen to sin. We don't want to lie with sin. We don't want to live with sin. We can run without limitation. We can run this race because of what Jesus has done for us. We can be like Joseph. When, when faced with those, those temptations, with those invitations, to, to listen to that voice that says, lie with me, that says, you deserve this, we have the power. We have the ability to say no. We have the ability to run. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we are so thankful for the blessings that you've given us in this life. We're so thankful for Jesus who, who died so that we can run. We can be like Joseph. Help us to take these lessons we've learned, to remember these things from Joseph's story as we leave this place tonight, as we go throughout this week. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be uh, the kind of people that, that everyone around us is better because the way we're living, the way we're encouraging, the way we're motivating. Please help us to be more like Joseph, be more like Jesus. If there's anyone here tonight, God, who, who needs to make a change, who needs to get out of a sin, um, who needs forgiveness of sins, who needs to commit their lives to you, be, be baptized, be forgiven of the sins in their lives, we pray that those things will happen tonight, that they will make those decisions. We thank you so much for Jesus. We pray these things in his name, and amen. If you have anything we can help you with tonight, won't you come?